Alright, well, good morning again. It's uh, really good to, to be with you. Thankful that we are able to have this place, um, although it might be a little chilly, and if that's the case, uh, I don't know what to say. I'm sorry. It's, it's locked, so we can't, can't do anything about the temperature today. Um, but it's also good to have a few people that are visiting with us. We're thankful for you, and we hope that you're able to find us um, pretty easy, and it's, uh, it's really good to be able just to consistently have a place where we can meet, worship God, study His Word, and encourage each other and stir up love among ourselves. Not just in this moment, but stir up love so that when we go out, as we say sometimes, in the world, uh, but really just when we go out in our normal lives and we're surrounded by people that, whether they're loving or not, we're able to actually show love and we're actually able to proclaim God through our works. So I want to take a look at Hebrews 11 today. And we're going to pretty much be in Hebrews 11 for most of the day. We're going to reference some other scriptures as well. But I want to take a look at uh, what our reading was from, which is Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. So Hebrews 11 is where we have um, what we typically call the, the great men and women of faith. Or I've heard it called before the, the Hall of Faith uh, instead of the Hall of Fame. So, Which I don't know. That, that probably isn't the best <laughs> Uh, phrase because not everybody is lifted, listed in here that that is uh, that has been faithful or that we even know was faithful to God. So, um, but what I do want to take a look at is specifically the faith of Abraham. And what I instead of just thinking about Abraham's faith, what I want to do is I want to broaden it a little bit and notice that this isn't just the faith of one man, but it's the faith of a type of man, and that this is the type of people that we are to be as well. Let's just reread Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 8 again. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that, w- that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So we're going to talk about this towards the end of the lesson in our last point, but I would just want to make sure we're all on the same page. The same thing that Abraham looked for, this city that was not made by his hands, but made by God, whose foundation and designer is God. That's what we're looking for. Now, it's it's not the same city. In a way it is, but in a very real practical way, it wasn't. Because Abraham was looking towards Canaan. Abraham was looking towards a, a land of promise. And it was fulfilled. It was fulfilled uh, after him. He was not able to really own much of it. I mean, he, he didn't own anything where he was able to like live there in splendor and everything like that. But it was promised to him. And then those promises were handed down to his son and his son's son and on down. And we see that came to fruition. But God fulfilled that promise in a greater way through Jesus. In a way that uh, wasn't just flowing with milk and honey was actually flowing with the river of life, flowing with wonderful blessings that are eternal. And we see that that's what we look for as well. So although Abraham might not have known that God was going to fulfill that promise to him in a generation after him, but was actually going to also fulfill it in a great way uh, for for all those that would believe in him, that's what we understand. We understand that we're looking for the same thing, this promised city, this promised place where God is the designer and builder. So everything that it says about Abraham and his faith are not only things that we, we should say, oh, that's good, that's admirable, I should want to be like that, but it's actually something that is required of us if we are going to say we are going to that city. 
that we are going to live in a place that God has prepared for us. So I, I want to notice a few things that it says here. And the, the Spirit reveals here in Hebrews 11 that Abraham's faith is very specific. So I want to focus on the fact that he went to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents. That's the first part of verse, uh, the first part of verse 8, uh, verse 9, excuse me, that his, by faith he did that. He went to live in the land of promise. But he actually didn't live in that promised land, right? But so along the path, he lived a certain way where he lived in tents. He was living in a foreign land. So he changed how he lived by faith. The second thing is that it's who he lived with. The fact that it says he lived with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So it shows a change in who he lived with, or at least a specific people that he lived with. And then lastly, that he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God, where that focuses on where he longed to live. So the, the three easy points, if you want to go ahead and just know, so that way if someone asks you, oh, what did, you know, what did the preacher say? You can at least say, well, I, I remember this, this, and this. Um, but it's also okay if you don't remember anything because that's how most of us are. So, But the three things are that by faith, we need to be like Abraham in that we change how we live, who we live with, and where we long to live. So that's what we're going to look at. So um, the one thing I do want to point out before we really get into it is notice verse 8. There's, there's a phrase here that I thought was really interesting. So I I did the best I could to be a Greek scholar for the afternoon, and I looked it up and tried to figure out a little bit of what he was saying, and I noticed something really interesting that I'd never noticed before. In, in verse 8 of Hebrews 11, it says that by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place. Whenever you see the word, not, not every single instance, I should go back, most of the time when you see the word church, that we know that to be the Greek word ekklesia. And I, so I was thinking, what's that word called out mean? Oh, that's the word ekklesia. That's the word we use for church. For instance, when, when Jesus says that he's going to build his church, he's going to build his ekklesia. Or in Acts 2, and it says that the Lord added to the church so many people, ekklesia. And that word means the called out. And I think that most people who have done, who study that or heard that, that's kind of just a common idea. But the interesting thing is that this phrase here where he says called to go out is a similar word. It, it, it's not the same as ecclesia, but it's similar. The root of it actually is the same as in the called out, but it's very specific here. It's called out to go to a place or called out from a place to go to a place. It just kind of depends on, on the uh, context, it seems. So what I want to notice is that Abraham truly is our example not just of what does it mean to have faith? Well, let's look to Abraham. But actually, if we want to be part of this called out, if we want to be part of this group of people that are called believers, this assembly of saints, then we actually need to be like Abraham, specifically that we're called out from a place to go to another place. And although it was unknown for Abraham and it's a little bit unknown for us, we have to have the faith that Abraham had in order for us to be part of that group. So I thought that was interesting. I thought that might be helpful for us to see that Abraham isn't just an example of, yeah, it'd be good to have faith like that. But he's an example of what it means to, to have faith that leads us to be part of this group of people that are waiting in hopeful expectation to enter into 
a city that has been promised by God. So these three things that we're going to look at today aren't just nice things that we should think, oh, that would be be good if I did that. But they're actually three core principles if we're going to be faithful people longing to live with God forever. So the first thing is that faith moves us to change how we live. So let's just take a look here again at verse 9. Verse 9. So by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents. So faith caused him to change his very identity. He went from being a citizen of a place where he had a land, he had a family, everything was known, to all of a sudden now he's a stranger. You actually look at the the end of verse 8. He went out not knowing where he was going. So not only did he not know, wasn't really familiar with the land that he was living in, he was going to a place that he had no idea what was going on there. He'd never been there, he'd never seen it or anything. And I I do think this is one thing that's interesting. If you go back and you read the account of when Abraham was called out and then he goes. I mean, when when God calls him and says, I want you to go, Abraham goes. And so in that way, we see what a great example he is. But, and I'll just use this whiteboard. I'm actually going to draw on it because I don't feel like erasing it. And I'm not an artist. So, so imagine that like, this is Canaan right here. This is, this is the land that we now know is Israel and Palestine and all of that. So, Abraham's from over here, okay? Ur of the Chaldees, all right? And when I say over here, it's, you know, pretty far away. All of this is desert. So he actually doesn't get to, he doesn't get to go straight shot over to Canaan, to the land of promise. He has to go all the way up here. And if you remember in the story, he actually winds up kind of settling in, I think it's Haran, right? So he goes all the way up here, and he's still so far away from this land. So when he left home to go find another home, he never found his home. He, ne- he never got home. And you would think that, well, but that's what God said was going to happen. Well, it's not that God didn't fulfill his promise. He just didn't fulfill it in the time that maybe Abraham thought. But then that's not unusual because we know that when, when God also promised a son, did that happen in the time that Abraham thought it was going to happen in? No, we actually, we actually see that Abraham took steps to think like, by faith, I'm going to have a son. So I need to find out how I'm going to have a son. And although it was not what God wanted when, when Abraham was with Hagar and they, they had a son, that's not what God wanted. But that was Abraham's attempt to say, I believe by faith that God will accomplish this. Same thing as he was going on his path. Same thing as he's traveling. We have to believe and we have to see that Abraham lived his life in faith, that he changed everything, his very identity. He changed how he lived. He went from having a home having a family, having a certain normal routine. So all of a sudden, he's a wanderer. He's living in tents. His whole thing, his whole identity changes. His cares and his desires changed. So if we're to be what we need to be, we need to be a people that will know that we're strangers here and that we don't belong in this world. And so we were promised a home, but we're living in a place where this never actually becomes home. Same with Abraham. Until he got to the place that was promised, he couldn't actually live like he was at home. Which means that he always lived as a stranger. He's always lived separated from the world around him. And that's how we're to be by faith. But another way that changed how he lived was he he was changed in what guided him. See, he went from what was known to all of a sudden not knowing where he was going. And I think that's something that we can relate to, or we should be able to relate to. 
For instance, we, we've been studying James in our Sunday classes, and last week we went through James 3. One passage from James 3 says in verse 13 through 18, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his work, works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So that's how we live at one point. We live according to the wisdom and the way of the world. And so it looks like people that are selfish. Well, do you see how your life used to be selfish in a way? I, I definitely see that. What about the fact that it's earthly, focus on earthly possessions and earthly things and pursuits? What about unspiritual? The, the last one's kind of hard, demonic. It's hard for me to think about how did my life look like it was demonic at one point. And although we don't want to actually accept it, anything that is not being led by the wisdom that is from above winds up being led by the wisdom of the earth, which is in its very nature against God. And so in that way, it is demonic. But the wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, <coughs> impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Abraham didn't know where he was going, but God was his guide. God was going to show him the path. And through the wisdom that we have from above, God is our, God is our light in showing us our path. We don't make our own path. We rely on God to show us our path. So in that way, we are, just, we are to be just like Abraham. But the last thing that changed about Abraham as far as how he lived is something that isn't mentioned here in Hebrews. We know from Joshua 24, where it says, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. They presented themselves before God, and Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. At one point, Abraham was surrounded by idolatry. They served other gods. But then, this is what the Lord says in Joshua 24, verse 3, I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. And you know, in Genesis 12, when God appears to Abraham in a way, and he, he appears to him in verse 7 of Genesis 12, and he says, To your offspring I will give this land. Here's Abraham's reaction. He built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So Abraham goes from not only changing like his mindset and approach to life and focus on being, instead of being a citizen of where he was, now he's a stranger. He's living in tents instead of a, a house. But now he... he who he serves changes. Everything about who directs him and who he serves, who is the, the um, I guess the, uh, I can't even think of the word, not result, but who is the uh, focus of his attention and praise and glory. It goes from being idols and goes from maybe even being self to now it's all about God. And that's how we're to live as well. So, so in this land, this is, I think, the, how it gets practical for us. In this land that we live in, we not only just have to try our best to stop focusing on earthly and worldly pursuits, we have to be solely focused on serving and praising God. 
Because we're called out of idolatry. We're called out of self-seeking nature. We're called out of praising money and people and athletes and, and our boss and, and sometimes even our parents and, and uh, the government. We're, we're called away from that to solely focus on, God, you're, you are the, the one that I will serve. And that's how Abraham lived. Now, it takes great faith to do that. But we don't just see that with Abraham. Actually, if you back up to in Hebrews 11 and you look at what it said about Abel, I think this is another uh, interesting thing. I think in some ways Abel is an example of this same thing, of, of changing how we live. It says in verse 4, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, we are to offer up to God the most wonderful sacrifices that we can. We are to give him our very best. Everything about how we live has changed because we're looking towards a land of promise and because we recognize God as being our God. All right, so the second thing, faith causes us to change who we live with. Did you notice that it specifically says back in Hebrews 11 and verse 9 that Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Why does it specifically mention Isaac and Jacob? First of all, when, when Abraham was called to go, Isaac wasn't even a thought, uh, not even really a possibility because it says that Sarah was barren. Jacob definitely wasn't a thought. <laughs> so how, was he, how did he actually live with them? Well, I, th- I think that he literally lived with them. But in, in another way, I think that what we see is that his company changed. Who he lived with changed. He left behind people that were surrounded by idolatry and focused on other things. And instead, he surrounded himself with those that were going to the same place. Now, we, we see that there were some hiccups along the way, right? He wasn't always surrounded by people that were like-minded and focused on God. But in general, that's who he was to surround himself with. So his people, his close people, became those that shared the same promise. They happened to be his family. But what if they weren't his family? What if it, weren't, what if it wasn't his son and his wife and his grandson? What if they actually weren't sharing in the same promise at all? What if they weren't heirs the way he was? I think it's fair for us to say that they wouldn't be listed here as people he lived with. That doesn't mean that he wouldn't have lived with them, but he would not have regarded them as being people that he was with because they weren't about the same thing. They weren't living the same way. They weren't going to the same place. And this should be familiar to us as Christians because Jesus says that this will happen. Jesus promised that this, this would happen and should happen, that he brings a sword and that it is dividing at times. And the same thing is actually said of Noah. It says back in verse 7 of Hebrews 11 that by faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. He did this by faith to save his household. But what he also did in doing this and building an ark and saving his household was separate himself from everyone else. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And I think that's the same thing that Jesus calls us to do as well. When he prays in John 17 that his believers would be sanctified by the truth, your word is truth. When he prays that, what he's asking is that his people would be separated. 
that in, in a way that when we accept Jesus and his truths and we follow him, we follow what he has to say, we're actually condemning the world around us. We're not going out there with a sign that says, I condemn you. But by our lives, by us pursuing God in this way, we condemn the world around us. Because it's, it's separating ourselves saying, we're not about the same thing. I'm headed this place. And, and it's an open invitation to say, you should come too. You should be an heir of this promise as well. But, but I'm going this place and you're going that place. And if we're very honest with ourselves, we don't like that. <laughs> Some people seem to like that. I, I, I'll say this. I don't like that. <laughs> I'm not comfortable with that. I don't like separating myself from people. Um, I don't like this feel, this tension that can come up. I don't like the fact that I have to accept that sometimes the people that I love in this life aren't people that are going the same place I'm going. So therefore, although I don't love them less, I can't really surround myself with them the way that I want to. And some of you know what that's like in a very real way. And it's awful. But you need to know that God will surround you and does surround you with people that share the same promise. He did that with Abraham. And that there's a, a real sense of community and family that we can find even when we don't find that at home. And that even when our best friends and the people that we share all these interests with, there's just something missing that like we can't really relate on this thing. And we, it, like our lives, we're not about the same thing in our life. That there are people that, that God will put in our lives so that we have, not just through the church, not just through uh, Sunday where we go and worship, but just in our lives, we can see people and we can know people that are about the same thing we're about. So as we're sanctified and we're set apart, God is not going to allow us to be totally alone. And if nothing else, even when we feel alone, we know that we have uh, not only our relationship with God, but we truly have a brother that has gone through the same thing, feeling alone, being alone on a cross. And his name is Jesus Christ. So we look to him. All right, so the third thing is that faith shifts our focus to where we long to live instead of thinking about where we currently are. We long to live beyond time and everything else that is known here. In 1 Corinthians 15, 19, it says, Paul says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So in, in that whole context, he does start talking about the resurrection and the fact that if I'm preaching something that is about the res based on the resurrection, there isn't a resurrection of the dead, then this is vain. This is you know, futile. This makes no sense. Uh, and we should definitely be pitied. But in that verse, he actually says, if in Christ we have hope. Well, we do have hope in Christ. But then this next little phrase, in this life only. If all we are, have hope in is this life, then we should be so, we should feel so terrible. We, I mean, people should look at us and, and instead of thinking that we're just silly because we believe in God instead of believing in whatever science tells us to believe in at times, really, really what this is saying is that people should feel really sorry for us. If we believe in Christ and everything is about Jesus and then it's just like, and it's all about this life. And do you know people that are like that? That everything about their life communicates that they're living for now, that they've made this their home, but yet somehow Christ is their forerunner. Christ has paved the way for them, and yet they've kind of made their own room here. They've made their own mansion here. And I don't mean a literal mansion. I mean, I'm not going to go down that route totally, but you can do that and still realize that God's mansion is where you want to live. 
I don't care how big your house is here. You can still look towards God's home and say, I have a better room prepared. Um, but if we want to make this our home, we need to realize that we're to be pitied. And we're not living by faith like Abraham. We're not looking to the place that is to come. Abraham lived in a way that he was waiting for and better yet, expecting what was to come. And I think that the expectation is something that will set us apart. It's one thing to just be waiting. Well, I'm just, I'm waiting. I, have you ever seen, a, well, I know you have. I think all of us have. Either you've seen this when you're at a restaurant or, or because you see it next to you and you think, oh my goodness, I, I wish this kid would uh, chill out. Or you've seen it in your own family or your friends, they have kids and things like that. Have you ever just seen it where a kid was promised, right? If you eat your food, you can have dessert, right? I was eating with a friend of mine uh, last night, and his kid's great. I love him, um, and I love his whole family. And the reason I have to say that is because he might wind up listening to the recording. So I, I love him. <laughs> and he was, he was behaving pretty well. I, I have to be honest, I wasn't helping his behavior. Uh, I was an instigator in some ways because that's what I like to be with, with my friend's kids. Um, I like to be the fun Uncle Blake. So that's what, what I do. But he was, was promised that there would be a sweet treat after he got done eating. So he started bargaining a little bit where, you know, his mom said, you have to eat three more pieces of chicken. He said, two. <laughs> and he's, he said, he was like, mm. <laughs> kind of waffled on. He said, maybe just two. And, and I don't know how many ate. I mean, at the end of it, it didn't really matter. He got his sweet treat. It wasn't not because I said, oh, come on, give it to him. Um, I was thinking that though, but, but was he waiting patiently? No. <laughs> do, do children ever really wait patiently? I mean, you just, you know it when you, when a kid gets sent in timeout and they're just like turning around constantly, like, you know, wondering what's going on behind them. They, they can't wait to get back in the action or there's something promised where like, okay, if you do this, then you're going to have this. It's going to be a dessert. It's going to be, you're going to go to an arcade. You're going to be able to do whatever it is. And it's like, they don't even, they can't even focus on what they're supposed to do to get that. It's all about, they just want to be there. Well, that, that's like this anticipation, this building up that I, I think sometimes we've lost. We get so comfortable in, in the waiting that we've lost the, the hopeful expectation part of living in this world, that we're waiting for something that is so much greater. It's the prize. It's, it's, it's better than the ice cream that the kids are waiting for. It's better than, you know, getting to go to Chuck E. Cheese or whatever. When I was a kid, it was like, oh, I just got to get this done, and then I can go do that thing. And I, and I couldn't wait to get to that thing. And yet somehow we get so comfortable in what's going on right now with our jobs, with our family, with our relationships. Um, you get so wrapped up in things now that we're just waiting. So when we see John at the end of Revelation say, come, yes, come, Lord, as if he's saying, come on, like I'm ready. We say, well, I'd like to be able to say that. <laughs> so this idea of longing and expectation can, can get lost. And actually, something that we're going to look at this afternoon in James 5, there's this idea of expectation and that actually leads to patience. We need to get to a point that not only are we waiting, but we're hopeful and we're expecting to be in this land of promise. We're expecting to be with God for all eternity, that he is going to give us that promise. And then that actually leads to us being very patient. 
Instead of twilling our thumbs, we're patiently waiting and active. That's the life by faith that we are expected to live. And then notice the other thing about where Abraham longed to live, that it was made of true foundations that are only built by God. Here are just some of those potential foundations for us. Because when we think about it, that, that's all of us. We're, we're building our house, right? We're building something in this life. We are building our lives around things. But we need to understand that God is the only one that can give us the true foundations and the true dwelling place that these things that we want in this life become so much greater. For instance, we want things like love. We want things like glory and riches. We want security and freedom. We want peace and comfort. We want relationships. We want to fit in. All of those things. Well, what does God actually promise? He promises eternal love and faithfulness to us. This relationship that is never broken. He, he promised us to be around his eternal power and, and glory forever. True bliss. Security that is not uh, based on what the, the economy is doing or based on anything else, but it's actually just based on who God is. And we have true freedom, eternal freedom, and riches that only, only God has. He's the only one that can build something on those things. So when we try to find things that are things he's promised, but we actually don't use God or we don't seek God to fulfill those, then we, we need to realize that we really are building our house on the sand, on just a, a lot of sand that will one day just be washed away. And the same thing as far as where we long to live and how our faith shifts our focus to where we're going instead of where we are now, I think that's the same thing we see in Enoch. If you go back to verses 5 and 6, of Hebrews 11. It says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. What does it say about Enoch in verse 5? He lived in a way where he was so consumed by the things of God and pleasing God that he didn't see death. And he was not found. And I think that's wonderful. We can live in a way where we're so consumed with being with God that in this life, it's as if we're not even here. Like people can't even find us. Have you ever seen people who their mind is somewhere else? And you're just like, hey, I'm right here. Come on, you know, stick with me here. Uh, we do that in classes sometimes. <laughs> I just got done with a uh, camp uh, two weeks ago. And there's a lot of times like, okay, guys, hey, whoa, whoo. You know, try to get their attention, focus in. Give me your attention. Wouldn't that be wonderful if our attention was so focused on heaven with God that people were just like, it's like he's not even focused on what's going on here. Like I can't even, he's just, his mind's somewhere else. Our mind's supposed to be somewhere else. Now our bodies are here, but our hearts and minds are, are supposed to be focused on somewhere else. We set our mind on things above, not on things of this earth. And we need to be able to live with harmony, live, live in harmony with God now and then we will live in harmony with God forever, just like Enoch. But faith is the key for us. Faith was the key for Enoch. It was the key for Abraham. It was the key for Abel and Noah and all these other people. So I don't know if you noticed, but there were the, the three things that we focused on were the how, the who, and the where. So I started thinking, well, there's two other things that we usually say. You got to answer those two as well. And that's the what and the when. So the what for us today is to have faith like Abraham, 
where we not only have that faith within us, but it shows itself. Because the first thing it says about Abraham here is by faith Abraham obeyed. We have to be obedient by faith. We need to obey. We need to go. We need to live. And we need to look ahead. That's exactly what Abraham did. That just encompasses his whole life if you look at it. That's what we need to do. Now, the when is, is kind of the tricky part, right? God called Abraham, and he went, and he obeyed by faith. Well, the, the win for us is when we realize that God has called us as well. We do this when we realize God has called all people everywhere to repent. So he's called you. We need to make that personal and individual, realizing that if he did this for all, then he did it for me. He's called us through the blood of Christ. He's called us through his son. And he's called us through those that profess that Jesus is the Christ. So this isn't meant to be like, so if you're here today, you know, let's do it. Let's, but, but it kind of is at the same time. If you've realized that God has called you, not to this, live the same way Abraham did where you pack up now or don't even really pack up, maybe just go. Um, and you're never, we never see you again. I don't, I don't think that we're, we're really seeing it the way we need to. We need we are called to have the faith of Abraham that when God says we are set apart from this world and that we're on a path to live in a land of promise and that we are to be surrounded by people that are inheriting that same promise, then we do that right now. We do that as soon as we realize that that's not just what God wants, but that's what God wants for us and that he wants us to want that too. And if you are here and you can realize that you know, your faith is lacking, that you don't have that faith of Abraham, that it's been really difficult for you to be more focused on the life that is to come rather than the life that is here, and that you've been surrounding yourself with people that really you shouldn't, and that your life doesn't even exhibit or exude this life of faithfulness and obedience to God, then my encouragement to you is to not only decide to make a change, but to, to do that soon, to, to redeem the time, as Ephesians says, to make that decision and then make the change right now. Now, what that does mean is that you will probably need some help. And that is the wonderful thing about being with a group of Christians is that not only will we pray for you now, but we'll check in on you tomorrow and we'll, we'll continue to be there in the coming days and weeks when you struggle. And then we'll call you out on it and that you'll call us out on it when, when we mess up. That's what we're supposed to be. We are supposed to help each other focus on the life that is to come. And if there's anything that we can do as a group today, then we want to do that. If you have any spiritual need, let us know. Uh, talk to somebody afterwards if you need to. Text someone later on in the week. Call them and say, I need to talk. But our hope is not in what is right here before us. Our hope is what is to come. And as soon as our eyes get distracted from that and focus more on this life, we have to, need, we have to reach out to people to help us shift our attention above. If you do need something, we are going to sing a song. Uh, typically, we call this a song of encouragement or invitation because God's invitation, God's calling is truly just open for everyone at all time. So if you do need something or if you realize that you actually need to start your life with God, you realize that or you at least question, I don't know if I've done that. Well, we want to talk to you about that as well. So let us know as we, as we stand and as we sing the song that William has prepared. We'll sing number 535 verses 1, 2.